Welcome to Topics in Endurance Sports. I'm your host, Tim. Today is Tuesday, August 10th, 2021. I am doing something special right now, something called the Dog Days of Podcasting. It's a challenge to do an episode every day in the month of August. This year, I am covering a topic about isotopes, which has nothing whatsoever to do with endurance sports. If you are not at all interested in this, feel free to skip it. However, you might want to listen, and you also might want to listen to the others who are participating. There's about a dozen others, and all of us are trying to do an episode every day, lasting from, I think the shortest one was 29 seconds, that was Justin's, up to about 20 minutes. And there are all types of different topics. So you can go to the Dog Days of Podcasting feed and listen to all of these. Anyway, today, like I said, is day number 10. Uh, I, I do want to correct something from yesterday. I fumbled over a word. The topic yesterday was isotope fractionation. I was saying isotope fractionization. That was incorrect. Isotope fractionation. And we're going to continue talking about this today, how we apply it to, a, to uh, something else. So, there are other phenomena, so you might want to listen to yesterday to know what isotope fractionation is, but there are other phenomena that are influenced by isotope fractionation. For example, most nitrogen is nitrogen-14. There's a little bit of nitrogen-15, just 0.4%. Some animals will utilize nitrogen-15 a little differently than nitrogen-14. For example, Marine mammals, fish, and birds are usually enriched in nitrogen-15 compared to land animals. This can be used to determine a person's diet. If you eat mostly seafood, you will have a little more nitrogen-15 in you than someone who eats little seafood. Hold on to that thought. Here's a second isotopic phenomenon, uh, isotope fractionation phenomenon involving strontium. Strontium lies just below calcium in the periodic table, which, if you recall your chemistry class, means it has properties similar to calcium. Calcium, As such, it tends to accumulate a bit in living organisms by mimicking calcium here and there, much of it recorded in your bones and teeth. You've got a little bit of strontium in you. Strontium generally is found in rocks, but it leaches into the soils, is taken up by plants, and from there it gets into the animals who eat the plants. Strontium has a number of isotopes, but two important ones are strontium-87 and strontium-86. Here's another interesting thing. It turns out that the ratio of strontium-87 to 86 in rocks and soils varies ever so slightly from place to place on Earth probably due to some isotope fractionation process that happened when the rocks formed. This means if you lived your life in a certain area, your whole life, your bones are a record of that, of where you've lived. All right, remember the nitrogen strontium thing as I continue. Enter King Richard III. The mortal remains, thought to be those of Richard III, were found in September 2012, under a car park in England. I actually remember this almost 10 years ago now. This was a landmark discovery that supported historical accounts of King Richard III's death and final resting place 
as well as confirming he suffered from scoliosis, curvature of the spine, chemical analyses of tooth and bone samples, added further insights into the king's life, and corroborated historical records. Note, Richard III, born 1452, was King of England and Lord of Ireland from June of 1483 until his death in 1485. He was only king for two years. He was the last king of the House of York and the last of a Plantagenet dynasty. His defeat and death at the Battle of Bosworth Field, the last decisive battle of the War of the Roses, marked the end of the Middle Ages in England. That sounds mighty Python-esque, doesn't it? Like, oh, the war's over. Yay, the Middle Ages are over. Let's all clap. Woo! Anyway, he is the protagonist of Richard III, one of William Shakespeare's, Shakespeare's history plays. Okay, anyway, a team of scientists use well-established archaeological techniques to retrieve isotope signatures of several elements present in tooth, rib, and femur samples taken from Richard III's remains. These include isotopes of strontium and nitrogen, as well as some other elements. Since these elements are incorporated into the body from food and drink and can vary slightly in different locations, these disparities can, prov can provide information about lifestyle, location, and diet. Dietary levels of these elements and their isotopes can vary with climate patterns, the range of different foods and drinks consumed, in and geology. So this is interesting, too. Different parts of the skeleton can provide information about, a particular, about particular stages of a person's life. Teeth, which form during childhood and early adolescence, give information about someone's childhood. Femurs, which undergo cell turnover over a decade or so, give information about the last 10 to 20 years of someone's life. And ribs, which undergo rapid cell turnover, represent the last couple years of someone's life. I didn't know any of that. The isotope values of strontium and also oxygen in bone can be, can be linked to the geologic strontium and climactic oxygen environment in which a person lived. Strontium isotope composition provides links to the land where the food was grown or grazed, and oxygen is linked to the source of drinking water. Remember yesterday I talked about lake evaporation and rain and how that influenced oxygen isotope content. Results suggested that Richard moved out of eastern England, where he was born, by the age of seven or eight, residing further west, but moved back into eastern England as an adolescent or young adult. While this data did not provide a tightly constrained location, it was consistent with historically, historically documented geogra geographical movements during his childhood. Nitrogen isotopes, as well as carbon, tell us about the sources of protein being eaten, whether it was predominantly terrestrial or marine. Recall the beginning of this episode. The terrestrial element from Richard's diet was mostly from meat, while perhaps a quarter was derived from seafood. A varied diet of this kind would have been typical of a late medieval nobleman who could afford to consume expensive foods like meat, game, and fish. Comparing the, comparing the femur results with those of the rib showed that in the last two years of his life, when he was king, his diet became even richer. The team suggests that at the end of his life, his diet was dominated by luxury foods that were typical of banqueting feasts at that time, such as fresh fish 
and wild birds, likely to include egrets, peacocks, and swans. So there you go, a bunch of isotope information corroborating historical information. You may say they didn't learn anything new, but I still think it's pretty fascinating and, and maybe they did learn a little bit new here and I just didn't explain it well. Plus, it also uh, shows how good this isotope uh, technique, using this isotope technique is. And now you can apply it to other information where maybe you don't have the historical records as well. So I think it was pretty darn cool. Anyway, that's all for today. Tomorrow I might cover someone much older than King Richard III.